Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, please feel free to turn with me to the Song of Songs. Last week we started a new sermon series on this uh, often neglected book of the Bible. Um, And so today we're going to be looking at a bit more detail in chapter 1. We're going to read together now the first 15 verses. So let's begin from the beginning. Solomon's Song of Songs. The woman, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. The chorus. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. The woman. How right they are to adore you, dark am I, yet lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me, because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me, and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love... Where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? The Corvus. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. The man. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. The woman. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms by the vineyards of Engedi. The man. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. <clears throat> well, this week... I was talking to someone who's been exploring faith and uh, he happened to mention to me just how often uh, C.S. Lewis is coming up in his uh, explorations. Now C.S. Lewis is of course most famous for his uh, Chronicles of Narnia, though he himself did not come to faith until his adult years. Five years after he had taken up uh, a senior teaching post at the University of Oxford, um, and at the same time as he took it up, another uh, famous author took up a senior teaching post as well. That author was J.R.R. Tolkien, who is, of course, famous for The Lord of the Rings, amongst many other works. Now, there, there is an account that one night they both were staying up till 3am, till uh, having this uh, heated debate all about stories and myths and how uh, uh, they had completely different opinions on them. You see, for Lewis, for C.S. Lewis, myths may be beautiful and moving, but in essence they are lies, inventions that contain no objective truth about the world. Now some think this is the case with the Jesus story. It's beautiful, but it's not true. Now Tolkien's view was the complete opposite. Myths do not originate with man, but with God. 
there are his means of communicating to some of his truths to the world. And because people are from God, their highest longings are also from him and their imaginations are also from him. For, for Tolkien, myths contain nostalgia for reality, not fantasy. And Lewis just did not understand at this point the central teachings of Christianity. And, and he asks, how could the birth, death, uh, birth, life and death of Jesus be relevant to all and save the world? And Tolkien answered Lewis immediately and he said these words, yes, the story of Jesus is a kind of myth, it is the authentic story of the dying God who returns to life to rescue people from sin and death and to bring them to the blessed land. The difference between Christianity and all the other pagan myths is that the dying God did actually enter the world, lived a real life and died a real death. Lewis uh, turns to Tolkien and, and says this, Do you mean that the story of Jesus Christ is the true myth, capital T, capital M, that works the same way as all the others, but a myth that really happened? On that night, an intellectual barrier for C.S. Lewis was starting to fall down, a professional barrier that he'd put up. Maybe some of us have a similar barrier. We perhaps define ourselves for all of our lives uh, as faith is not something that interests us or we just think it's uh, just, you know, not, not grounded in reality. Perhaps some of those barriers are starting to come down at this time. Maybe like Lewis, you too need one of these late night real conversations. I don't know, perhaps you're a, a scientist who can't seem to, to fit in science with Christianity. If that's the case, let me counsel you to grab uh, uh, someone who's a scientist, but also, also a person of faith who, follow, who follows Jesus. There's, there's lots of us within the church. And to, to have one of these real conversations, if you have a barrier to faith that you've been hiding behind or, or you want to interrogate, let me encourage you to ask questions and Alpha as I've said is starting this Wednesday and it's a wonderful opportunity just to come with those questions it's a safe space to, to really interrogate the barriers that we put up in all of our lives you see the Jesus story is the story of all stories Charlie Cleverly uh, is the former rector of uh, St Aldate's in Oxford and he's spoken about this subject and uh, others have as well, the likes of Tim Keller from the US. Anyway, uh, Charlie Cleverly says that the Jesus story changes the way in which we view all stories. For example, the great fairy tales, the beauty and the beast, sleeping beauty. Of course they didn't happen but they fulfill a longing within us, longings that realistic fiction cannot satisfy. And that is why fantasy is so moving. The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, they capture our imaginations because they satisfy longings that we are within us, deeper longings that, that are within us that we know are true. For instance, 
those fairy tales, Beauty and the Beast, a story of love that can help us break out of the beastliness that we've created for ourselves. Sleeping Beauty, that there is a noble prince, a prince of peace, who is able to destroy the enchantment that we find ourselves in. And the Jesus story doesn't just uh, uh, change the way in which we view other stories. It changes the way in which we read this book. And, and it, it, even the, the book within the book, the Song of Songs. You see, with fresh eyes, we find ourselves within the story. We are the one uh, who in verse 5 says, Dark am I, yet lovely. Do not stare at me, because I am dark, darkened by the sun. We know that we are sinful. We want to shy away from our prince, our, our bridegroom. We, we know we're sinful, and yet somehow we also know at the same time that we are lovely to him. And he calls us, my darling, how beautiful you are, your eyes are. I like doves because his love is more delightful than wine. So I want to encourage us all as a church to read this book and immerse ourselves in it and to drink deeply of it and to receive through it the love of Jesus. And so in this opening uh, chapter, there's just two questions I want to draw out today. And the first is this, what do you smell of? What do you smell of? today? What uh, does your life smell of, in other words? You know, when people meet you, what do they get? In this passage, there's uh, three references to perfumes or the fragrance of Christ. In verse 3, we read this, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. Verse 12, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. Verse 13, my lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Catherine and I are uh, fans of a comedy TV show called The Big Bang Theory. It's just a light-hearted comedy. It's a sitcom basically based upon uh, the premise of there's this group of science geeks and a pretty girl that lives across the hall called Penny. Now Catherine likes to think it's a, a bit of a mirror into our lives. I'm the geek, she's the pretty girl. This week uh, we watched one of the first episodes when the guys first meet Penny across the hall. And so there's this character who bumps into Penny and she, he's such a geek, he's so uh, shy around girls that he's unable to speak to any, any girls at all. And so Penny meets him, starts chatting to him, starts pouring out all her life to him and he's just amazed that he's such a good listener. In reality, he's absolutely stunned uh, and is unable to speak back. Anyway, because he's such a good listener, Penny gives him a great big hug uh, and then heads off in her own way. And then he heads off into the flat with the other science geeks and at which point he then starts to regale this story about how he's been chatting up this new girl from across the hall and how she gave him this lovely hug. And at this point, uh, his friend comes up to him and hugs him and breathes in, he breathes in the perfume of Penny that was still lingering upon him. You see, the closer 
we get to Christ. The more time we spend with him, the more his fragrance, his perfume lingers upon us. So let me ask you again, what does your life smell of? When people meet you, what do they get? Are they met with the fragrance of Christ? As far as uh, perfect storms go, the year 2020 was the perfect storm for the, for the perfume industry. You know, crops went unharvested, uh, shops were empty, supplies of alcohol, which are the base ingredient for many perfumes, uh, were diverted so that uh, it could be going to sanitizers. Uh, uh, while many of the other products that we buy were able to go online straight away, many people were uh, reluctant to buy perfumes without trying them first. So sales declined. Uh, plus, you know, why would you want to buy a scent when the very act of uh, breathing in inhalation was the source of such great anxiety for many people? Just before Christmas, however, readers of the Financial Times were reminded that even in this uh, really poor year for the perfume industry, Chanel remains one of the leading brands. And in its article, it reported that uh, one of the standout highlights of the year was Chanel's Paris Riviera. Now, uh, Coco Chanel herself is reported to have said, a woman who does not wear perfume has no future. Now, I think this is a, a bit over the top, but obviously Chanel had a vested interest in perfume sales. But spiritually speaking, we can say that a church that is not filled with the aroma of Christ has no future because we need his love and we need his sacrificial acts, his patience, his wise words, his character, his aroma, his sweet smelling presence to surround us as we move from, we hear in our passage, from the king's chambers into a world which is watching us. A church that is not filled with the perfume of Christ has no future. We need to spend time with Jesus. Returning to verse 13, we read, My lover is to me a satchet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Breasts here uh, speak of reproduction, of fruitfulness. It's a challenge to us. How fruitful has your life been this last year? How fruitful of our lives. In uh, his sermon, A Bundle of Myrrh, preached by uh, Charles Spurgeon back in 1864, the Prince of Pe Preachers uh, uh, himself concludes by repeating this phrase, my beloved is to me a bundle of myrrh. That is, Christ is to me a bundle or a satchet of myrrh. And then he says these words, he or rather it, shall lie all night between my breasts. The church does not say, I will put this bundle of myrrh on my shoulders. Christ is no burden to a Christian. She does not say, I will put this bundle of myrrh on my back. The church does not want to have Christ concealed from her face. She desires to have him where she can see him and near to her heart. And then he goes on to say this, he shall always be upon our heart. I want to say amen to that. 
May Jesus always be upon our heart as a church. You see, the same perfume of Christ uh, imbibes uh, the church, the bride of Christ. Uh, Spurgeon's passion for God, that Christ would always be upon his heart, close to his chest, helped build a church of over 10,000 people at the heart of London. And in the same sermon, in a few sentences, he goes on to say, My desire is that Jesus may abide with me from morn till even, in the world and in the church. When I awake, when I sleep, when I go abroad and when I come home into the bosom of my family, is not that your desire that he may be always with you? You see, the presence of Christ, the perfume of Christ is our desire. And this fragrance of Christ is not just our desire, it's also our confidence. As a young child clings to their mother's uh, jumper or scarf when she goes away, and in some ways they gain confidence by her aroma lingering on the material, so too Christ is forever close to our hearts. And this can fill us with confidence as he has set his seal upon our hearts. You know, there are times when Christ feels distant from us, but his heart can never depart from us. He promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. His aroma can bring us confidence. And so that's my first question today. What do you smell of? My prayer is that as a church we would smell of Jesus. My second question, uh, and we're not going to spend very much time on this, uh, is from verse 6. Are you tending to your vineyard? Are you tending to your vineyard? And I'll be a bit quicker on this point. You see, uh, let's read it again. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. You see, like the, the bride in our passage, many of us may have been out in the fields, working hard for the Lord, taking care of the vineyards of others. Maybe you've been working hard for Jesus. But what we have here is a call to take time to tend to our own vineyards. We need to take time to tend to our own souls. And so what spiritual disciplines are you putting in your life to tend to your own soul today and who are you going to be accountable with because prevention is better than cure you know uh, I've, I've got here a uh, book it's not often that i get to quote from the mighty alan titchmarsh of how to be a complete gardener but at the beginning of this book uh, there's a section called where to start with gardening and uh, here he writes this I know it's very tempting to get some plants in straight away and worry about the weeds or the dreadful soil later. Everyone does it at some time because they're so keen to start seeing some flowers. But if you don't tackle the serious problems first, you'll be struggling with bindweed or wondering why nothing wants to grow for years. And it can cost a fortune in failed plants. Soil improvement is vital too. So, at the risk of sounding like a killjoy, do the groundwork first. It won't take you long if you pull your finger out. 
Well, there's a charge and a half from uh, Mr. Titchmarsh. We need to do the, our groundwork. We need to tend to our own vineyard. Uh, we need to pull our fingers out, according to uh, Alan. You know, we need to look after our own souls. Otherwise, we won't see the fruit. You know, are we struggling? And many of us are struggling, you know, uh, uh, to see freedom in our lives. You know, are we, are we harboring some destructive thought patterns? Are we still struggling to let go of the past? We need to take time to tend to our own vineyards. Otherwise, we'll be waiting and wanting the flowers to grow, but only seeing the bindweed. And so take time to tend to your soul. No matter how busy you might be, take time out. Jesus you know, he only had three years of public ministry and yet he managed to set aside time daily to tend to his pattern of prayer. And you can too. You've got to love your own vineyard. Prevention is better than cure. You may be working day and night, but we need to take time out to be still with God, to seek intimacy with Christ we want to meditate upon scripture, to chew upon it, to share with Jesus the highs and the lows of the day, where we've encountered him during the day, maybe where we've missed him during the day. We need to take time to tend to our souls. And so saints, the story of Jesus is the story of all stories. Let me encourage you to seek intimacy with Jesus to allow him to rest upon your heart, to allow his fragrance to perfume us and let us tend to our own vineyard. Let us not rush about tending to everybody else's and neglecting our own. Let us tend to our own vineyard and to our own souls. Amen. Saints, let's move now into a time of worship together.